even if I, even if you and I uh, speak different language, one thing is the same. The, is that we love the same God. Although you read the English Bible and I read the Korean Bible, one thing is the same, the meaning is the same. Now I will, the, I will read the Korean Bible, Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 to 6. 창세기 16장 1절부터 6절 읽겠습니다. 아브라함의 아내 사례는 출산하지 못하였고 그에게 한 여종이 있으니 애굽사람이요 이름은 하갈이라 사례가 아브라함에게 이르되 여호와께서 내 출산을 허락지 아니하셨으니 원하건대 내 여종에게 들어가라 내가 혹 그로 말미암아 자녀를 얻을까 하노라 하며 아브라함이 사례의 말을 들으니라 아브라함의 아내 사례가 그 여종 애굽사람 하갈을 데려다가 그 남편 아브라함에게 처벌어 준 때는 아브라함이 가나안 땅에 거주한 지 10년 후였더라. 아브라함이 하갈과 동침하였더니 하갈이 임신함에 그가 자기의 임신함을 알고 그의 여 주인을 멸시한지라. 사례가 아브라함에게 이르되 내가 받은 모욕은 당신이 받아야 옳도다. 내가 나의 여정을 당신의 품에 두었거늘 그가 자기의 임신함을 알고 나를 멸시하니 당신과 나 사이에 여호와께서 판단하시기를 원하노라. 아브라함이 사라에게 이르되 당신의 여정은 당신의 수종에게 있으니 당신의 눈에 좋은 대로 그에게 행하라. 하매 사례가 하갈을 학대하였더니 하갈이 사례 앞에서 도망하였더라. 아멘. to step over toys and clothes that were scattered along the staircase. He passed the bathroom from which he found water running out from underneath the door. And when he peeked in, he could see towels stuck everywhere and toilet paper surrounding the room. And so he rushed to the bedroom, and there he found his wife laying in bed, reading a book, still in her pajamas. And, he, and she smiled when he entered the room. And she said, Honey, how was your day? And he said, what happened here? And she said, well, you know how you come home every day and ask what I do all day? Well, today I didn't do it. <laughs> you know, the, the, the point of that is this. We are really good at making messes, aren't we? In fact, there are some of you right now, if I said, hey, I want to come over to your house tonight and spend a little bit of time with you, you would be a little bit ambivalent about that because your house isn't ready. Because we are really good at making messes. And tonight, as we look at this unique story in the life of Abraham that appears here in Genesis chapter 16, we're looking at a really big mess that several people made. And so tonight, if you haven't already turned there, go with me to Genesis chapter 16. Let me tell you a little bit about what's happening here. At this point in, in Abraham's story, we learn in verse 1 that Sarah had borne him no children. Now, back in Genesis chapter 11, at the outset of Abram's story, 
we're informed that Sarai was barren. Now here's the thing. They have been in, 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 the, in Canaan for a decade now. For 10 years, they've been following God. His direction to go to a land that he was going to show them. And, it, and they're expecting God's promises to come to fruition. Promises that include an heir, that include offspring. And for 10 years, that had yet to come true. Sarai had not yet given birth to a child that God had promised to give them. Now certainly their waiting was taking its toil on their faith, especially Sarai's. Because if you think about it, up to this point, God has never communicated directly with her. He's always, always communicated with Abram. And here's what Abram's heard over the years. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2, God told Abram, I will make you, make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 16, God told Abram, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. And then in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 4, God told Abram, your very own son shall be your heir. So Abram has heard time and time again that he's going to have offspring. But that's never been communicated by God to Sarai directly, as far as Scripture says. And so Sarai comes to this conclusion that she doesn't have to be a part of the offspring creation process. Because at this point, there's no information given as to what her role is going to be in this whole situation. Remember, God specified that Abram's heir would be Abram's very own son, but he did not specify that Abram's heir would be Sarai's very own son. So Sarai reasoned that to produce this promised offspring, they might have to consider alternative solutions. And that's when she recommended using her servant Hagar as a surrogate. Now, to be fair, this was a common practice in their time and in their culture. Archaeologists have uncovered marriage contracts from an ancient Middle Eastern town in modern-day Iraq, which are dated to about 1500 B.C., and, and those texts say that a wife who is unable to bear children had the option of getting a concubine for her husband to bear her husband children in her place, and the children born to that union would be considered the child of the wife, not the child of the concubine. And all the legal rights of that child would be born would be attached to the, to the wife of the husband, not the concubine. But even though this may have been a culturally acceptable solution to their problem, it's not a divinely inspired solution. And because of that, things are going to get messy in this household. Tonight I want us to consider how each person in this situation contributed to the mess but even more important, I want us to consider who cleaned the mess up. So let's start with this. Let's look at who contributed to the mess. And first and foremost, we have to acknowledge that Sarai contributed to the mess by blaming God. Look at the conclusion she reached regarding her infertility in Genesis chapter 16 in the first part of verse 2. In Genesis chapter 16 and verse 2, we're told that Sarai said to Abram, Behold now... The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. She says, it's God's fault I haven't had kids. 
Now that's pretty audacious. That's pretty bold. That accusation against God is dangerous. You see, Sarah blamed the Lord for her inability to produce offspring, maintaining that he prevented her from bearing children. Now, to be fair, she's not completely incorrect according to the theology of her day. You see, when you journey throughout Scripture, you'll notice that God is involved, spiritually speaking, in helping families bear children. It should be noted that there are situations in Genesis where God closed the wombs of women. And then conception became impossible without further divine intervention. For example, God closed the womb of Abimelech's wife and slaves and did not open them until Abraham interceded. This happens down the road in chapter 20, verse 17 through 18. And then if you go even further into the life of Abram's grandson, you'll see that God opened the womb of Leah when he saw that Leah was hated in Genesis chapter 29, verse 31. And God eventually also remembered Rachel and opened her womb in Genesis chapter 30, verse 22. The, the point is that when you go through the book of Genesis, you see whether it, is in, whether it is the inability to conceive or the ability to conceive, you can see that God is attached to it in some fashion. Furthermore, when you journey throughout the Old Testament, you can see that the Israelites believe that bearing children is a sign of God's blessing and not bearing children is a sign that you've been cursed. In a psalm of praise to God, the psalmist wrote, in, it's Psalm 113, and the psalmist said, Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. In that psalm, the inference is that one's ability to bear children is a blessing from God. And conversely, one's inability to bear children was seen as punishment from God. And so Sarai is communicating a theology from her day and time that I can't have kids because God's punishing me somehow. Whether or not that's true is a different story, but that's, that's what was a, was a relevant mindset in her day and age from a spiritual standpoint. And so she's blaming God. But if her claim that God was preventing her from bearing children was true, then was she wrong for actually blaming him? I think yes. Because in blaming God, she came to the conclusion that she had to take matters into her own hands. She came to doubt that God could or would fulfill his promise to Abram through her, so she decided to fix their problem herself. She's not doing what her great, 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 great grandson wrote in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. And yes, I did the research to make sure I got enough greats in there. Solomon will give the instruction to trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. She's not doing that here. She's trusting in herself, and she's leaning on her own reasoning because she thinks she has to fix the problem, and she's not trusting God to handle it. That's where she contributes to the mess. 
And I think the lesson to be learned from Sarai in particular is that the blame game never works. See, throughout this whole ordeal, Sarai never thought that maybe she helped create the mess. She never saw her own guilt for doubting God. She won't see her own guilt for mistreating Hagar, which will happen a little bit later. Sarah reminds us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and therefore everyone makes mistakes, everyone has contributed to the mess of this world, and everyone has to own it. See, we can go to 1 John chapter 1, and look at verses 8 through 10, and, and what you'll notice is that it says we have to acknowledge that we create the mess. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's verse 8. Verse 10 adds this on. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. Sarah is not acknowledging her own contribution to the mess here. Instead, she's pointing the fingers elsewhere. She doesn't just blame God. She'll also start blaming Abram. She pitches the idea of using Hagar as a surrogate, but then she puts the blame on Abram for having done it. And then after that, when Hagar is doing something wrong, she responds in kind. And she starts mistreating Hagar to the point that Hagar has to run away. See, Sarah never looks at herself and says, hey, I'm contributing to the mess. And the thing that 1 John chapter 1 tells us is that the first step in cleaning up any mess is admitting that we contributed to the mess. That's why in the midst of those verses that say that, that if, we ha- if we say we have no sin, then we, we've done wrong, in the midst of that in verse 9, John says if we confess our sins, if we acknowledge our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleaning up the mess starts with acknowledging that we contributed to the mess, with acknowledging that we're messy. And from Sarai, we learn the necessity of claiming our mess. But Sarai is not the only contributor to the mess in this story. Abram contributes to the mess as well, and Abram contributed to the mess by listening to Sarai. Now, look at Genesis chapter 16 again, but look at the last half of that verse. In Genesis chapter 16 and verse 2, we're told that Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, it's not always a bad thing to listen to your wife. Most of the time, men, she's probably smarter than you. But, and, and in this passage where this is called out, it's not a way for Scripture to demean women, and it's not a way in which Scripture is being critical of a woman's intelligence. The issue here with Abram listening to Sarai has nothing to do with gender roles or gender equality or anything like that. The problem is that Abram listened to his wife rather than his God. You know, Adam was criticized for a similar failure. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17, when God addressed Adam after learning of the first sin, he began by saying to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, here are your consequences. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, Adam was criticized by God for having listened to and obeyed Eve instead of God. 
And Abram makes the exact same decision. He listens to Sarai instead of God. God had been communicating with him all these years, telling him, your very own son will be your heir. Keeping this promise, God has continually come back to the covenant and said, I will make you a great nation. And Abram buys into Sarai's doubt and goes along with it. He's listening to her instead of his God. And here's what I think we can learn, about, learn from Abram's contribution to the mess. You see, both Adam and Abram failed God because they knew what God's will was, but they prioritized their spouse's will over God's will. We need to remember what James said in James chapter 4 and verse 17. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And in these instances, Adam knew better. Abram knew better. But they listened to someone else other than God. And by doing that, they contributed to the mess. The other thing we need to notice about Abram in particular is that even though our relationship with our spouse is our primary human relationship, what I mean by that is of the relationships we have human to human, our relationship with our spouse is the primary, the one that should take precedence. Even though it's the most important human to human relationship, it's not the most important relationship. The most important relationship any individual has is with God. It always takes precedent. And it's as if Abram forgot that for a moment. Our relationship with God should take precedence even over our relationship with our spouse. That's the point Jesus was making when he said in Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus was not advocating hatred here. He was advocating prioritization. In the Bible, hating can mean something like loving less. That's the case in Genesis chapter 29 and verse 31, where we're told that Leah was hated by Jacob. She was loved less than Rachel. So when Jesus said that one must hate his or her family in order to be a follower, he was not saying that we should dislike them, but that we should love him more. It's about prioritization. And when we look at Abram here, his decision to listen to Sarai instead of God shows that he prioritized her above God, and that's never the way it's supposed to be. God expects for us to make him the priority, and when we don't, we contribute to the mess. There's a third contributor in this story, though. Her name is Hagar, and she may have been an unwilling contributor, but she was a contributor nonetheless. She contributed to the mess by mistreating Sarah. If you look at Genesis chapter 16 and verse 4, we're told that when Hagar saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So Abram goes through with Sarai's suggestion and uses Hagar as a surrogate, and guess what? She gets pregnant. And upon learning of her pregnancy, she starts mistreating Sarai. Now, this phraseology in the English Standard Version is that she looked with contempt on her mistress. The attitude described as contempt Contempt here is referred to as despising in other translations or disrespect in other translations or even looking down on in other translations. So Hagar's attitude towards Sarai after learning of her own pregnancy was a concoction of spite 
and superiority. Hagar had this attitude towards Sarah in which she saw herself as superior because she's the one who will give her master an heir. She's going to be able to do something that the original wife could not do. And now there's an arrogance attached with that. Here's the thing. Hagar's behavior, Hagar's attitude, it's not laudable, but it certainly was predictable. There's this passage in Proverbs chapter 30, if you want to skip over there real quick and hold your spot in Genesis 16. In Proverbs chapter 30, there's this description of four situations that guarantee conflict in this world. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 21 through 23. Under three things the earth trembles, it says. Under four it cannot bear up. In verse 22, a slave when he becomes king. A fool when he is filled with food. An unloved woman when she gets a husband. And the last one, in verse 23 of Proverbs 30, a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. Four situations that the author of Proverbs indicate are going to cause strife. And the last of these is identified as a maidservant, which Hagar was, displacing, supplanting, usurping her mistress, which Sarai was. In other words, Abram and Sarai should have seen this coming. To go about the situation and the dynamic that they are pursuing was going to create conflict. But that doesn't dismiss Hagar's contributions. Hagar should have never used her blessing as an opportunity to demean Sarai, to mistreat Sarai. And so from Hagar, we can learn two very, very valuable lessons. First, we're reminded about the way we treat people. Scripture is very, very clear that God expects His people to treat other people respectfully. In particular, Jesus taught what is commonly referred to as the golden rule. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And it's there that Jesus says, Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. If Hagar had applied this principle, the mess would not have been so messy. Or at the very least, she would not have been a contributor to the mess. But Hagar used her blessing as an opportunity to despise Sarah. And so she contributed to the mess. But there's something else we should take away from Hagar's involvement. We should realize that the consequences of our sins have long-lasting ramifications. At the outset of Genesis chapter 16, we learn in verse 1 that Hagar was Sarai's female Egyptian servant. That means that Hagar was likely acquired by Sarai during her and Abram's sojourn in Egypt. And as you may recall, their trip to Egypt resulted in Abram gaining a lot of physical assets, but losing a lot of spiritual credibility. The fact that she is a part of this mess is a reminder 
of what Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23 says, to, to be sure that your sins will find you out. Or as Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 says, whatever one sows, that he will also reap. The mistakes that Abram made by going to Egypt without God's consultation, lying about his relationship with Sarai to those in Egypt instead of trusting God for his protection. All of those mistakes contributed to the acquisition of Hagar. And the acquisition of Hagar contributed to the mess that they now found themselves in. And so what he sowed, he did indeed reap. And the sins he committed by going to Egypt did find him out. We need to be cognizant of the fact that our, the consequences of our sins can have long-lasting ramifications. And so that should drive us to avoid sin all the more. See, Hagar's presence, Hagar's attitude and behavior, they all contributed to the mess as well. So we've seen that Sarai contributed to the mess. We've seen that Abram contributed to the mess. We saw that Hagar contributed to the mess. The big question is, who cleaned up the mess? Well, first and foremost, we find out that God contributed to the cleanup by blessing Hagar. Look at Genesis chapter 16 and skip down to verses 10 through 11. What you have here is that after Hagar mistreated Sarai, Sarai went to Abram and said, hey, you've got to do something about this. Because here's the thing. When Hagar became involved as a surrogate, she was no longer Sarai's servant. She was a concubine or even a wife of Abram at that point. So Sarai had no power over her anymore. That power belonged to Abram. And Abraham granted the power back to Sarai. And what did Sarai do? She started mistreating Hagar. And finally, Hagar couldn't stand it anymore. So she ran away. In fact, if you read about where she was going, you'll find out she was on her way back to Egypt. But then God intervened in Hagar's life. God found her. And via the angel of the Lord in this text, Genesis chapter 16, verse 10 and 11, this is what he communicated to her. He said, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for, for multitude. And in verse 11, he said, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He goes on to talk about what Ishmael will become. And nobody wants their child to be compared to a wild donkey. But... She's being blessed with a child by God, regardless of what his future holds. And this situation must, do, must be recognized as a blessing from God for two very important reasons. First off, God communicates directly with Hagar. As far as I know, no other woman in the book of Genesis receives direct communication from God. Think about that. This former servant who's been used as a surrogate for Abram and Sarai, who's contributed to the mess, is being directly communicated with by God. She's an Egyptian, not a Hebrew, not from the family of Abram. She's a foreigner, an outcast, an exile. 
And yet God is communicating with her. And also notice that despite the fact that Hagar's child was not the specific offspring that God had promised to Abram, God still promised to multiply Hagar's offspring through him so that they too could not be numbered. The same or at least similar blessing that is going to be attached to Isaac is being attached to Ishmael. God is showering mercy to Hagar in this moment. Because she is forced into a mess that she should have never been involved in. And look at how she responded to the news that God gave her. Genesis chapter 16 and verse 13. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. This deity who she was introduced to through Abram and Sarai's mess proves to be a God who not only cares about his select people, his chosen people, but he also cares about all people. He sees Hagar despite the fact that she's an outcast, despite the fact that she's been marginalized, and despite the fact that she's guilty of contributing to the mess. Contributing. I don't know why I said it that way. Contributing to the mess. Hagar is seen. Hagar is listened to by God in this moment. God's cleaning up the mess by blessing Hagar. But God also contributed to the mess, to the cleanup. I'm sorry, not the mess, the cleanup. By blessing Abram. Pick up the text in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1. In Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1, 13 years have gone by since the birth of Ishmael. At the end of Genesis 16, we're told that Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born, but in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1, he's 99 years old. And look at what God does at this juncture in Abram's life. He appears to Abram, and in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 and 2, he says this, Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Despite Abram's mistakes in the whole Hagar episode, God still wants to keep his promise. And he, to demonstrate his commitment to Abram, his commitment to this covenant, God changed Abram's name. Abram meant something like exalted father. But Abraham means something like father of a multitude. That name change signified something from God to Abraham. It signified that God still cared about Abram. That God was still going to bless Abram. And look at what God said beginning in verse 5 and going through verse 8 here. He said, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I, 
I will give you to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God promises, in spite of what Abram's done, God promises to keep his covenant and to extend it into future generations. God's treatment of Abram, in spite of the mess that Abram helped create, was very gracious. And it reminds us of what Paul declared about God in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13, that God remains faithful even if we are faithless. See, God's cleaning up the mess that Abram created by remaining faithful to Abram. But God also contributed to the cleanup by blessing Sarai. In Genesis chapter 17, if you drop down to verse 15, you'll see that God didn't just change Abram's name, but he also changed Sarai's name. She went from being Sarai to Sarah. Now, this new spelling did not actually change the meaning of her name. It meant princess before, it, meant, it means princess after. But it did signify something new. And what's so very interesting, if you read the rest of Genesis chapter 17, you'll see that, that, that what is new in their story were some details regarding the offspring part of this covenant. Look particularly at verse 16. Look at what God said to Abraham about Sarai, or about Sarah, beginning in Genesis chapter 17, verse 16. He said, I will bless her, not you, not Abram. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Thus far, nothing had been said about Sarah's involvement. But now, God says, I'm going to bless her. And your son is going to come through her. And she's going to be the mother of nations, of kings, and so forth. And all the blessings that God had been saying are connected with Abraham are now connected with Sarah as well. For the first time, Sarah is identified as a part of the offspring equation. But not only that, for the first time, God identifies the name of this offspring. Look at verse 19 of Genesis chapter 17. God says, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Now we're getting more specific. God is giving more details about this offspring aspect of the covenant. But God's not done. In addition to identifying Sarah's role, and in addition to naming the child, God identifies when the offspring promise will be fulfilled. Look at verse 21. God says, I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. They've been waiting for a long time, and now they have a date. All three of these details, Sarah's involvement, Isaac's name, the timing of his birth, all of these details are new information. But did you notice as we went through all three of those passages, as all three of those details are mentioned, there is only one of those three details that's mentioned every time. Every time God communicated a new detail, he made sure to mention that Sarah will be the mother. God was eliminating any doubt as to who this child's mother would be. That was the ultimate blessing bestowed upon Sarah. 
Tonight we look at a very messy situation in Scripture. The story of Abram, Sarai, and Hagar, it reminds us that we are really good at making messes. But it also reminds us that we serve a God who is willing and able to clean up our messes. In particular, God has cleaned up the mess we made through sin. He sent His Son to die for us so that He could impart His righteousness on us and we wouldn't have to face the consequences of the mess we made. Maybe that's why He's called the Messiah. I know that's a horrible pun, but there's some truth to it. Because only through him can the messes we make be cleansed. Tonight, if you have a mess that needs to be cleaned up, if the messes in your life have gotten out of control, if you've never turned over your mess to the one who can clean, tonight we have an opportunity. Tonight, we can turn to the one who cleans cleanses. And if you need to do that, if you need your sins removed because they've never been addressed, you can do so through the blood of Jesus that you come in contact with in the waters of baptism. If your sins have been removed that way, but, but you've created some new messes, remember 1 John chapter 1 says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Maybe you just need some messes to get cleaned up tonight. That's the invitation this evening. Won't you come while together we stand and sing?